I'm just going to be thinking about that all during the message. I feel as if I need to process it a little bit. What do you think, you, Imani? You have any ideas about that? Should we convene a fivefold? Let's gather the prophets together. There's probably something. Do you know where it is? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, I I do believe the Lord has something prophetic for us to consider as the network leading into this gathering. So, Monica, would you come? And um, I I I truly believe that. This is, uh, this is a word that the Lord needs us to honor. Amen. Praise the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. This morning in Sunday school, we talked about love. And in some way in the, the conversation came up the topic of kryptonite. And we, we remembered Pastor Fabian and Superman, and I remember when he used to come up here to teach, and he would put his little Superman figure right here. Remember that? Well, I have Jesus. <laughs> and he's a green Jesus. A green Jesus. So he's a prophetic. This is our prophetic Jesus. It's okay. Because <laughs> I need him. Do you need him? And I just want to launch this, this um, really this moment in his grace and just say how desperately we need him. We need him. We need the Holy Spirit to do what God's called us to do. We, and I just ask the Lord right now in this moment that he would just pour his spirit out upon us that his spirit would fill this house, that it would overflow into the streets, and that there, the lamp would be full of oil and shine so brightly in our city as we gather and we feast. Amen? Because what we're going to talk about just in the next few minutes, and it is just going to be for a few minutes, um, really is, is our preparation for the feast. And the Lord has really, by the Spirit, put it upon the heart of our apostle. He's put it upon my heart. Um, just a deep, deep conviction for his people to, uh, to step into what he has for us whatever the cost. And it does come at a cost. And, and so in this moment, we are, we are beginning into or prophetically releasing all of us into a season of really deep, deep self-examination. Where, where, as David prayed in Psalm 139, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. It, it, it is, it's a point of preparation so that when we come before Adonai at this in-gathering, who is the God of placement and the God of authority, we stand before him bare and ready 
and fully committed. And so the first thing I want to say is I want to quote Song of Solomon 6.1 that says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. First thing I want to declare over us is we belong to him. <laughs> Period. He is our Lord. He is our master. He owns us. Everything that we are is his. And so right now, as we approach his throne, as each one of us commits ourselves today and tomorrow, leading into Tuesday and then into Wednesday, these days are set apart. They are appointed for each one of us before the Lord to be before the Lord in prayer and in repentance and in deep, deep self-examination and allowing the Spirit to search us, to say, to show us anything that is keeping us from the fullness of our positioning, our placement, our function, and in the authority and the power that he wants to pour through us in the midst of that. It's so good. It's so good. You know, I looked up just so that I could get a bearing what the preparation was for the children of Israel before, like their preparation going to the Holy Feast, the Feast of Adonai. And, and it, it's, there's a name for it, and the name of it is Elul. It's E-L-U-L. And it's an acronym. You know what it means? I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. I love that. But let me just share a little bit, because this really is the launch point for us and the foundation for these next few days as we commit these next few days to prayer and preparation to meet with the Lord at the feast. Can we do that? Okay. So it is a very special time of reflection. It is a time of repentance. It is a time of forgiveness. It is a time for spiritual preparation. It is a time for the accounting of the soul. And it's a process where we survey or we allow the Spirit to survey the condition of our hearts, the commission of our lives, and we get right with God. And we are challenged to look inside and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the hidden sin, the iniquity in our hearts, and like I said earlier, anything that is keeping us from God. Now, guys, I'm speaking to the choir. I am speaking to the saints. But I have to say that there is a deeper measure of holiness that God is bringing us into. This saintly walk where he wants to purify us and make us beautiful in perhaps areas that have become twisted or perverted or clouded or anything in our thinking, you know, body, soul, and spirit, in our whole being. We strive to live the pure life, right? We do, but we're all human, and we're all flesh, and we all sin and fall short of his glory. But he, 
He has committed, and prophetically, I will say this, his spirit is here to meet with us when we get on our face and we say, Lord, make me ready. I don't want to miss one thing. Do you want to miss one thing? This is not a seminar where we will just go through the motions because we know how to do it and we do it well. This is a time individually where we are having an in-gathering individually before the Lord and allowing him to truly seek out, you know, search out our hearts and, and show us anything that needs to be purged. Because, guys, this is a battle. I mean, he's positioning us at this feast for battle. And if you just, for one moment, get a glimpse of what surrounds us, and we don't know what we're facing ahead. I just know we're going to be ready. Amen? And I know that every, every person that's a part of this is worthy and will be ready to be that righteousness on our left and our right. Because when we go to the wall, we want to know who's standing on either side of us. Amen? Amen. Part of the preparation is to arise from our slumber. Those who are dozing, that we are aroused from complacency, awakened from lethargy, lethargy or lethargy, <laughs> and we are jolted into a time of repentance. And the beautiful thing is that God is there to forgive He's so good. He's so faithful. He's so long-suffering with us. And so this is going to be a time these next few days where we are asking you, you before the Lord, to make your heart ready, to allow his spirit to illuminate anything that can be shaken. Ask him to shake you. Ask him to show you what is distracting me. And I've been dealing with so many distractions that's been really hindering my focus. And I know, I know, A, that it's the enemy, but I know that as I've entered into this time of fasting and prayer in preparation, things that I've had to purge, things that I'm having to fast, like media, things that distract me and cause me to look through the perspective of my own eyes. And God wants us to purge that because he wants us fully walking in the spirit. He wants us fully cleansed and purified because we are saints, and as we are called as saints to restore this earth for such a time as this, that restoration begins within. And these next few days is a call to fasting and prayer for every one of us. And so I just want to encourage you. This is so, to me, this is so exciting because we, he promises we will be changed from glory to glory. This is Transition, yes, this is promotion. This is stepping into a place of his glory where he, he will protect us. He will cover us. His presence will go with us, and we will go forth in his rest. Amen? Amen. So I want, I want this to be encouraging. I know it's, I mean, when, whenever you call somebody to a time of confession and repentance, fasting and purging, it's, you know, you want to say, ouch, but it's so good. It's so good because you know what? It only brings us closer to him. And I want all the channels to be clear, don't you? And so whatever that means for each one of us, whatever that means, we just need to, to, 
to be before him in his presence. And that's another thing that, that I found really so beautiful about this process is, you know, the acronym is this passage out of Song, and, of, Song of Solomon's. And it really, for, for us as God's people, as we bring it into the Nematocos world, is it is a time of intimate relationship with the Lord. It's a time of commune. You know, Les just talked about being like Mary, being at his feet. We do serve, and we will be serving, and we will be, we'll be super, super busy. But at the same time, our hearts are going to be postured at his feet, hearing him and hearing his direction. And so anything that's keeping you from that, don't let that be. This is too important of a moment for his people and for the body and for us as his saints. And so it's a time of his presence. It's a time where he promises to be completely approachable to us. It's a time of divine closeness where connection with him comes easy. A time of inner work, of repairing, of deepening our relationship with our Lord. And I want that. I want that for all of us. I want that for this body. I want that for this house. And so it's a beautiful thing. And so as Jesus is before me, or he's actually before you, he's calling us. He's calling us in. And he's asking us, you know, let my spirit probe deep calls into deep. Let it probe the depths of who you are. But you've got to make time for this. You've, you've, got, you've, got, you've got to set us at the time. And, and I promise you, he'll make it worth it because he promises to meet with us and his presence is with us. And, and I just speak that over every one of us. Every saint that is planning to come, every saint that's planning to join, um, put this as a priority of your heart. And as far as the fasting part is concerned, I don't know if pastor has something to bring, but I can just say, I just feel like it's individually up to each one of us. You know those idols inside of there. You know those things that you need to perhaps sacrifice in this hour. And, and so that's between you and the Lord. But I want to encourage you to ask him and to be faithful and obedient to what he says. Because he is here and he is ready to meet with us. And we are coming hungry, but we are also coming full. Because we, we have him and he is everything. Amen? And then the last thing I want to say is, you know, fasting and purging and repentance and confess, confession. I was, I was, I was reminded of um, something that was taught a couple of weeks ago about from, from Daniel out of chapter 20 where he says, And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of the people of Israel, presenting my supplication before Yahweh, my Elohim, for the holy mountain of my God, and as he was doing that, Gabriel came and touched him and gave him skill and understanding for going forward. There's so much God has for us. But the prerequisite of it is that we do confess our sins, that we do step into that point of identif identification repentance for the church, even for our nation. And I don't know what the progression is going to be. It's going to be a week of repentance. We've never had that before here that I can remember. This is huge, and, and I'm sure that our apostle is going to lead us perfectly through it. But just prepare your heart as we step into it, because it's first on, in the inward man. And um, I just don't want anything to hold us back. Amen? So that's what I have. 
Now, I, I, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, I pulled together some scriptures. This is not a teaching. These are scriptures for you to take, to meditate upon when you come to pray, or for you to take it wherever you're in prayer before the Lord. Um, so I encourage you to do that, to take them, but I also encourage you to get in the Word. It is our light. Get in the Word. If one of, these, one of these passages really speaks to you or begins to nudge you, get in the Word and see what the Lord's saying to you about it. Because once again, this isn't a teaching. This is a template. This is a, a point of reference for you. So grab one of these when you leave, um, if you would. I'll put them right here by the diffuser. They'll be diffused. And, and I just want to say, I just want to bless you. And I just want to say thank you for standing. Thank you for who you are before the Lord. We are coming before the Lord. And we are going to feast. And we don't know really what that looks like yet. But um, I just pray over you. I just speak forth his grace. I speak forth supplication. I just speak forth that measure of promotion between you and the Lord, that you would step into that deeper, higher place in him. And, and I speak forth over these next few days. And like I said, this is going to be a progression that's going to go into Tuesday afternoon and probably into Wednesday. So just prepare your heart and come ready. And amen? Amen. So I just speak a blessing over you. Should I leave Jesus up here or should I take him with me? Huh? Take him wherever I go. I'll put him in my pocket. Jesus in my pocket. But I do. I love you all so much, and I'm just so thankful for you. And I just want to encourage you. And, and God has amazing things in store for us. And I just, more than anything, I want you to meet him in such an intimate, powerful way this week that you are changed, and that your heart is just so committed to his plan and his purpose. Oh, one more thing I'm going to say, and then I'm, I promise I'm leaving. Um, this morning I woke up, and this is kind of heavy, you know, and you start thinking, okay, we're going to start talking about repentance. You know, it's kind of weighty, right? And the Lord said, go in joy. Don't let joy be zapped. And, and so I speak joy into every one of our hearts, and I want you to remember that he promises his joy whenever we are committed and devoted in fulfilling his purpose. His joy is with us. It's in us. And so I just speak forth that, that joy of the Lord that is your strength. And, and let's have fun. Okay? Let's know how, yeah, let's have fun. And one of the passages that I gave you was, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And so, hallelujah. Amen? So bless you, be in prayer, be before the Lord, be in fasting, whatever that looks like, whatever he tells you. Amen? And I'll be that right there with you. Thank you. Turn in your Bibles with me to the wonderful book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 110. This, uh, this passage has been uh, like a magnet to me over the past couple of days. 
and I believe that it's uh, of, of incredible significance in this hour for us. Uh, and as we lead into this um, gathering of the feast, uh, Psalm 110 is one of the most quoted passages in all of, um, in all of the Old Testament. In fact, um, I was thinking about how many times this was referenced in just passages that I can quote from the New Testament. And I looked it up, and, and uh, particularly the Boyce Commentary series says that Psalm 110 is quoted or referenced 27 times in the New Testament. And that, that really is a significant, uh, that, that's a significant amount of references. I, I don't know which Old Testament passage is referenced most. I know which is probably the most uh, prominent, I would say probably, uh, when Jesus preached his first sermon out of Isaiah. But 27 times is nothing to, to dismiss in any way. And I, I know that there are several points in this passage that the Lord is wanting us to know is a, is a rhema word for us. We're going to be focusing a significant portion of the time that I have with you today on, on repentance, the Lord's repentance and what it really means. And as we're, as we're going through these days of preparation leading up to the beginning of the seminar, if we really are repenting, if we really are on behalf of the nation confessing the sins and on behalf of the church confessing sins and in our, even in our own lives, what does that really mean? And we'll get to that in just a moment. But let's begin by looking at verse 1 of Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of his strength out of Zion, and rule that we might rule in the midst of our enemies. Let's talk about this for a moment. The Lord said unto my Lord. What does that mean? Sometimes people look at phrases like that in the Old Testament, and they just get really confused. It's like their mind goes into lockdown mode, and they, they then think that the word is just confusing and that uh, God is just all kinds of things that he's not. We need to remember that God reveals himself to us in ways that are for our benefit so that we might know our place in him and recognize how he's communicating his nature to us. This is the way God speaks when he, when he refers to himself in different facets of his names. And it's not like there are 20 little gods running around. It is that God shares himself with us in ways that are instructive, in ways that are inviting, in ways that are, uh, are determined to show us how we're to partner with him. So here it says, the Lord said unto my Lord. And it's very simple. The first Lord is, um, is in reference. This is all in reference to Adonai. And um, this Lord, Adonai, is a name of God, but then the second one is Adon, which speaks about our place in God as, as we fulfill what he created us to be. And you'll see this Adon throughout most of the Old Testament when it speaks about people who are demonstrating their measures of authority, people who are moving in conjunction with what God has commissioned them to do. 
Of course, this first verse is prophetic about Jesus' triumph at the cross and when he ascended and took his place at the right hand of God and the Father recognized how his Son had fulfilled all of the requirements that needed to be fulfilled. He, he, Jesus was moving on behalf of the will of the Father, on behalf of the purpose of the Father, which is why he's called the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, so it, it first of all references what Jesus demonstrated and what he did successfully, but then what it makes possible for us. So all of us in the plan of God, in conjunction with Adonai, each of us has a specific role, a specific uh, point of, of authority, a specific point of identity, and we serve under the overall plan of God. And it's not confusing at all, unless you just make it confusing. Uh, a lot of people are confused by this because they don't really know God. They're moving in spiritual things, but they don't, they've never really committed themselves to who he is. And sometimes people are confused because they don't want to do what he's called them to do. They want to do other things. But the real sons, the real saints are going to say, we not only believe that there is a plan from God, but that we have a place in it. And God has commissioned us to know him according to that placement. And we will then be successful as we yield ourselves to what he wants. So the Lord said unto my Lord is speaking about not only how God has commissioned us in his plan, but that we find our place in that. And that's really what the right hand of God is all about. Yes, it is a prophetic place. Yes, it is a place where we come before our Father in conjunction with his plan. But that right hand is all about us finding our place, our obedience to that placement in God, and doing what our role is, doing what we have been commissioned to do. And that's how the footstool of God's authority is going to be established. And that's how the rule and the reign of God in our appointed places through the power of the cross is going to be known throughout this world. You see, that's what God is doing right now. And I think that's what the significance of this gathering for the saints is, that we come in conjunction with what God as Adonai commissioned his people three times a year to come in those three specific feasts. And, and that's really how the kingdom operates. It's, it's an incredible thing. It, it is an amazing thing. And I, I truly believe that one of the main things that we as saints are doing in this time frame, in God's time frame, is establishing his kingdom where we've been called to stand, doing what we've been called to do. And that's how God is going to do his work. That's how the gospel of the kingdom being preached in all the world as a witness, uh, according to Matthew 24, that's really what that means. That, remember, from years ago, there's a difference between the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom is different than the good news of being born again. Yes, they work together, but when we're born again for the gospel of salvation, 
That's a beginning point. We then have to proceed toward the establishment of his kingdom. And so Jesus says to his disciples who are following him, when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees who are just playing games. You pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You're, you have a saintly commissioning. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what we must do. And this is really what is at stake in the world today. And, and I do believe that there is a significance, a very strong significance to our gathering this week. And so we, we prepare ourselves, not only here but throughout the network, to be ready for that. And that, that preparation is not of works. It's a, it's a submission to God, but an understanding that this is what he's wanting to do. This is functionality this week. This is repentance this week in conjunction with, with what God is really calling us to be and to do. And um, it's, it's, we're going to emerge from this week with a heightened sense of vitality and function. And it really, this really is end time stuff. So I'm looking forward to it, and I trust you are as well. Verse 3, your people will be willing in the day of your power. What does that mean? Well, it's very simple. The day of our power, that's a term that is, is the term for the armies of the Lord. God's commissioning his armies right now. And this willingness is the same term that is used for free will offerings. We will be willing to be a part of the army of God as God has established us. That's really what it is. You know, see, if we read this the way we might have if we were just part of the general church, you know, everybody's willing when God demonstrates something that he's doing, you know, we can read about it in the evangel six weeks after it's happened. And we say, oh, yeah, it's happening, so let's, get, get, let's go with it. I mean, that's not, what this, that's not what this means. It's not some demonstration of, of some new thing God's doing, and we see, we watch everybody else doing it. We say, hey, we better get on board. I'm willing to do it because everybody else is doing it. Obviously, God's moving. You know, that's not what this passage means. It means that as God is commissioning his people to fill their role in him, and, and he is coming to rule as his kingdom is being established in his footstool, when God begins to move with his armies, we're saying, yes, Lord. And in anticipation of it, we're saying, yes, I'm willing. This is so interesting because this is all about faith. This is all about our placement in God. And if, if, and I know this is true, if this really is a prophecy of the Lord at the right hand and what he was accomplishing at Calvary, we need to recognize, wow, this is what it's all about. This really is what it's all about. It's incredible. And, and in the beauties of holiness, and we could talk a lot about that, but um, it's, it's how God structures his plan how God structures his, the intricacies of the way he's doing things, how beautiful that is. And if you, if you were to study this term and, and look at it throughout the Old Testament, you'll see that there are many different dimensions of how God puts the intricacies of what he's doing. 
it is about honor. It's conjunction with honor where we, we become imprinted by God and the various generations come together and so beautifully align themselves in the fulfillment of what God is wanting to do. And all to accomplish holiness, all to accomplish his, his plan. It's wonderful. And then this beautiful prophetic, poetic, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. That's, that's just creativity uh, every day and, and um, measures of strength and revitalization every day. The womb of the morning. That's a measure of grace. I, I love that. But let's look at verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. You are a priest forever after the, the order of Melchizedek. What is, what's this mean? The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Well, this is really the heart of, of the message, even though the other parts that have already spoken have, are really speaking of, of what we're doing right now. But when you talk about the Lord swearing, it's, it's a derivative of the seven. It's a derivative of the sila uh, and, and, the, and the, the sabbah together. It's, it's the salah where you, you, your ways are established and you've com- God is committed to his ways, to his overall plan. And he will not repent. This is, this is so interesting, this business of repentance. How does God repent? Well, there are some passages in the Scripture, in the Old Testament, using the same word where it says God repents. But then there are other passages like this one that says God won't repent. Is that another one of those confusing things that invalidates the Word of God? Or is it really saying something that's very simple for us to understand if we really want to understand it? How can God uh, not repent, but then God repents? Well, it's all in in the essence of what this term nakam means. And and really, the essence of this term is that it goes in conjunction with the Lord has sworn. God has his plan. He's going to do what he has ordained to do. And he's not going to diverge from it. He's He's not going to divert from it. He's not, he's not going to change his mind midstream. He's going to stay committed to what he knows is supposed to be. And the times in Scripture, like in Genesis 6, where it says God repented that he made man, using this same word. Well, let's think about that. God's intent from the foundation of the world was for you and me to be here and for us to be partnering. So it wasn't like God saying, man, this whole idea about man, I sure screwed up on that. I didn't see this coming. God would never say that, and he didn't mean it that way then. But what, what happens is that you, you, you recognize, and we can all empathize with this. We can all understand this. You have something that you know has to happen in your life. You know that this is from God. You know that you've committed to it. And then Things don't seem to be working out the way they should. You're, never, you're not going to surrender what it is you know has to be. 
but you're contemplating, how did this go so crazy wrong? How did, how did this happen in the way it happened that seems to be subverting the whole thing? I am committed to what God's doing, but, but I, I can't figure out what this is. And you deliberate, you ruminate upon it. And it's, it's not that you're repenting to where, oh, you know, I thought this was from God, and boy, was I wrong. But you're thinking, God, this is not acceptable. This is what you want. Why is this happening? And, and there's, there's a rumination about it. It's the same term that is used when Noah was born. And there was that discussion about he's going to be able to comfort and, and bring measures of counsel into a scenario that is really haywire. And, and you know, then you have, you have uh, in Exodus 32... When God was going to destroy Israel, he said to Moses, I'm going to destroy him. I really repent of what I did. And Moses is, is then speaking, which God gives him the opportunity to express his commitment to the plan. No, God, please, you, you, you don't want to destroy them. because. And then Moses goes down a pathway that really wasn't necessary, but it's in the word. He said, you know, if you do that, what are the Egyptians going to say? <laughs> which I think is kind of great. God had committed himself to his people. He didn't like what they were doing. He didn't like the nonsense that was going on. But that measure of repentance was anchored in what God had intended to do and what God had intended to be. You know, there was the same type of thing happened when, uh, in 1 Samuel 15 when Samuel was having the discussion with God about Saul and how that, you know, God was repenting of the fact that that Saul was the king, and and um, and that and you know here's one better than you, um, one better than you in David was going to come, and um, you know God intended to use these people. He intended to use this role of the king to work prophetically and to work uh, in in ways to establish his rule and reign on earth. And there were a lot of speed bumps. There were a lot of crazy things that Saul did. There were a lot of good things that Saul did, even to the degree that Samuel was so committed that he mourned for Saul. And God finally said to him, how long are you going to mourn for this guy, seeing that I've done this? And you, so you, you have this repentance, not from the standpoint of God saying, boy, I sure messed up with this idea of putting somebody in a kingly role. It was that God's plan and purpose was sacrosanct, and it was something that was not going to be stopped. It's not some narcissistic thing that, you know, the world and the progressives accuse us of being narcissistic because we've committed to what God wants. And it's not that. It's that long after... Every one of you progressives have died and shriveled up into the dust. God's will is still going to be going on, and I'm committed to it. It's not that I think I'm better than anybody else. It's that God's better than everybody, and this is what he wants to do. 
So when God is when God is repenting, it's never from the standpoint of of confusion or reflecting, maybe I should have done this differently. It's always from that anchor point that this is what I've ordained to do. This is the perfect thing, and some way or other, it's going to be. And we've dealt with that as intercessors, as people with the burden. How many times have you prayed about things and you know this is what God is going to do, but yet your spirit is just striving with the things that you know are coming against that thing? Are you thinking, oh God, you sure made a mistake. All this intercession that I've offered sure has been worth nothing. Now, I know you'd never think that, but you feel that partnership with God and you feel that angst and that's what this measure of repentance is one of my favorite passages and this is the last one about repentance we'll talk about it was when Job in Job 21 was uh, beginning to entertain his friends his comforters which is formed from this same word and Job says there he says why should I listen to you guys and your necham since You're building all of it on falsehoods. See, that's the whole key to this business of what repentance is. We're not building on falsehoods. We're building on things that have been established through God's Word and by His Spirit from the foundation of the world. The issue with the friends of Job was that they were coming from man's viewpoint. They were coming from statements that were not in any way in line with what God was doing. They were falsehoods. And Job contrasted those falsehoods with what it really meant to be a comforter with God. Because that term, repent and comfort, is, is translated interchangeably, but it's the same term. So when we come before the Lord in repentance this week, when we're confessing the sins of the world, the sins of this nation, when we're doing what Jesus said, whoever sins you remit, they are remitted, and whoever's that you retain, they're retained. What is that? doesn't mean that we are now co-equal with God as forgivers of sins. Or when we listen to someone's confession and, and, and then they're healed, which is what the scripture says. It wasn't establishing the Vatican. It was to say, this is what you're called to do. Yeah, you're off center. You've come, and we we receive that, but we lay hands on you now, and we say, get back in line with what God has called you to be. We we really, uh, as we come this week, we're going to remember what God has shown us from his word, what the calling of the saints are, what the calling of an intercessor is, what, what the calling of sons are. And as we come to this, fe- these fe- this feast of Adonai, the placement of what God has ordained, we're, we're going to be coming before the Lord saying, Father, yeah, some from our camp over the years, and even even it's influenced us. Forgive us for whatever way we have diverted from what you've ordained. Oh, that wasn't me that did it. Well, 
how was Daniel praying for him for his own confessing his own sins and the sins of the nation? What does that mean? And then subsequently, Gabriel comes, which was referenced earlier prophetically. There's something in that. There's something in this measure of forgiveness and repentance. And, but the essence of it is that we commit to the foundational purpose. It's kind of like when you see little kids and one of them whacks the other one. Uh, Kelly can bear witness with this. And so there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, and you say to the other one, okay, you go and you say, I'm sorry. We've all seen that, haven't we? Maybe you've had to do that. I don't know. I was the baby of the family, so I got away with everything. But some of you, you know, you go say you're sorry. Well, is that repentance? Rose, is that, is that repentance? You think for one moment that the one that's saying they're sorry really is sorry? Maybe they are. But the whole issue of repentance is, do you know why that was wrong? Or better, do you know what is really right here? Do you know what novel sibling society, is there such a thing? No, novel society should be. Because that's the essence of repentance. It's not just saying, I'm sorry. It's not like the person that stands before the judge and says, I'm really sorry I knocked over the Piggly Wiggly last week. Are you sorry for doing that? Or are you sorry you got caught? Are you thinking your sorrow is going to bring a reduced sentence? Of course, in some parts of our nation, as long as you don't knock over more than a thousand bucks at the Piggly Wiggly, you walk free. Did you know about that, right? Anyway. But the essence of repentance is not just getting cleansed from missing the mark. It's, it's getting aligned with what that mark is and how to get there. See, that's the big difference. And that's what repentance is. You know, that's one of the problems I have with so much of soteriology in the church. You know, for, for generations. And I remember in Pentecostal churches, we used to hear this preached. You know, what good does it do to have somebody walk up the aisle, shake the hand of the preacher, and then no matter what you do, from that point, you're saved. Once saved, always saved. We've heard sermons that, that talk about the ludicrous nature of that belief. But I would go a step further to say, what good does it do for somebody to come and confess their sins and then not know really why God caused them to be born again? Why did he bring them to a point of being born again? Is he just filling the house with a bunch of children, hoping that daddy's going to take care of them? Or does he want them to grow and mature and to be partners together in the family business? What is that? So the whole issue of repentance, even from being born again to, to what we do as saints, as priests, and as kings before the Lord has to be understood that everything we do in that regard is based upon God, what God has sworn, what he is wanting to do, what his committed purpose is from the foundation of the world for us and for his purpose. 
And that's the whole measure of repentance. And that's what the Bible speaks about Daniel, where the saints are doing battle in the end time, and they are, they are overcoming, and then God in his timetable allows them not to be able to prevail, and then they overcome again, and they prevail. Boy, that can, be, that can give you warfare seasickness, you know? Unless you recognize, look, I'm serving the Father. I'm keeping my eyes on what he's asking me to do for his eternal plan. He's not changing his mind. When things go south, when my candidate doesn't get elected, and when there's weirdos running cities, I'm not going to give up like my head's on fire and I have no bucket of water to put it out. I am going to say, all right, I, I'm feeling what the Scripture says God's heart feels when his purpose is not being fulfilled. Is he abandoning his purpose? Is he giving up? No! We are committing ourselves to what he's going to do, and it will be that way no matter what it looks like right now. And I know that can be wearying. I believe that's one of the main ways that the enemy's going to try to wear out the saints in the end times. I know he's, he's tried to wear us out over this past two years, and much earlier than that. But the whole issue of God swearing and, and, uh, and not repenting is this. He has a purpose. He has an eternal plan. We're committed to that foundational partnership with him. And that's the whole heart of intercession. That's the whole heart of the burden. And that's how Daniel could pray in the way he did. That's what supplication is. It's not just going before some courtroom and winning your case and suddenly you get all the bonanza of what your prayer requests are. It's partnering. Supplication is an active partnership of grace. And it, it, listen, that's at the heart of repentance. And so when you see God repenting not and then repenting, you've got to take away the King James word and you've got to see what is really at issue here. What does this mean? It's not that God is vacillating. It's certainly not confusing. Sometimes things are confusing to somebody who doesn't want to do the work to understand it. Sometimes when I was in school, I didn't have anybody helping me with my homework at home. But there were some times I thought, this is just too hard. But what I was really saying is, I don't want to do the work to triumph in this. <laughs> and what we said at our house was, it's, this is not acceptable. You've got to do this. And it got done. And, and so... You know, the issue for me is that this makes perfect sense. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. And what does he say he's sworn to? Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. God is giving you the privilege because of what Jesus did to function in eternity now as a priest in righteousness. That, that beautiful phrase, priest forever, that doesn't just mean forever and ever, you know, on down the line. It's that eternity is now and will always be because we're focused in on partnering with the one who is now and will be and forevermore will be. And that priesthood is saying, what is it that you want to do in your footstool? 
How do you want me to represent as a king and as a priest? Because that's what the order of Melchizedek is. And it's what you're called to do. And it's what you're called to do no matter where God has established you. But this business of repentance and partnering with God is something we must understand because it's a lot of times going to look like, especially if you read Matthew 24, how in the world when the disciple says, what will the end of time be? And Jesus is going through those ridiculous things, many of which we're experiencing right now, and then he says it's going to get more convoluted. Are we going to be able to understand and keep our faith in God when we see those crazy things happening? We're seeing some of them now. We're seeing the groundwork laid now. But, bless God, there is coming a time where the rod of his strength, verse 2, out of Zion, is going to give a phenomenal authority and power in the kingdom. What strange days these are going to be. You think about this. How many times have we talked about visions of the end time where we see cities being touched by the presence of God, people just being miraculously delivered and set free, but at the same time, you've got gross darkness and darkness everywhere. That, they don't even seem to coincide, do they? You would think that when these amazing things are happening, that somehow people who are just engaged in wickedness will say, oh, look at that. I think I've been wrong. Now, some of them will do that. The synagogue of Satan, those of the synagogue of Satan, according to what the Lord says in the book of Revelation, will come, and many of them will say, God is in you. <laughs> we, we've been missing it. We see this is the way it should be, and they will proscuneo there. But for the most part, you've got this, this, uh, this strange bookend of God moving in the rod of his power, and then you've got nations who detest not only him, but the people who are serving him. It doesn't make sense, but yet we see it in our world today, don't we? And it's only going to become more pronounced. The question is, do we recognize that? And are you mature enough in the Lord to understand this business of partnering with God in Nacham? Do you realize how much God has had to deal with just in the written scriptures? How many times he set things up and then things just went haywire? Do you recognize how many times that's happened? He puts Adam and Eve in the garden. And then everything's beautiful. And then the serpent talks to Eve, and Adam and Eve do what they do. You know, you imagine what God felt like then? Or even before that, when Satan got irritated and iniquity of pride was found in him regarding God's plan for you and me. And Satan goes about rebelling, and he starts recruiting principalities and different groups of the angelic to rebel with him. And God waits until that sequence, voice thunders, lightning hits, and Jesus say, I beheld Satan fall as lightning. What was God thinking during all that time when he was well aware what was going on? You know, he has Noah and his family, and he, he, uh, he causes them to be saved, and they, they dock at Ararat, and out they come. And not long after that, you've got the Tower of Babel. 
And you got all those knuckleheads who are just doing these wicked things. And then God has to split all the nations and scatter their languages. That and so many other times. So if you think you are, are, are grappling with what's happened even in the past couple of years that we've been aware of in our nation, how do you think God has... That's one of the greatest points of God's power that ever could be conceived, that for, for millennia, God's had this plan for you and for me, and one time after another after another, the crazy things happen, but yet God remains constant. Why? Is it because God's not smart enough or strong enough that these things wouldn't happen? No, it all comes back to who's he want to partner with? What is the sincerity of your heart? Will you keep serving him even though craziness is going on all around you? Will you continue just because you love him to keep seeking after him? That's what the precious thing, that's the precious thing that God has desired. And you can't mandate that. You can't vote that into office. You can't power that into being. You know, it's a remnant. It's, it's the few. It's the seed. <laughs> That's what God's looking for. And as we come to the times that we're in, um, that's what he's wanting. He's wanting priests and kings who serve him after his heart, who will be at the right hand fulfilling their role, their appointed role from God and with God. And that's this, this is just describing what Jesus came to do and what we're to be doing now. I love verse 5. The Lord at thy right hand. Here's Adonai rising again. Will strike through kings in the day of his wrath. Here's another thing that some wokest religion says. Oh, how can God be a God of love if there is these things about, oh, these poor kings who struck through and the wounded heads. Oh. How could God do such a thing and be a God of love? <laughs> wake up. <laughs> really, wake up. I mean, there, there is spiritual warfare. There is warfare going on. The, the kingdom of God suffers violence. The violent take it by force. It's not that we're saying we're going to go out and kill people. That's not what we're saying. That's not what we're intimating. But it is a battle. And, and you can see people who do despicable things. You can, you can see people around the world that are so intent on the demonic that they're doing such wicked things. We've just celebrated as a, as a nation um, an anniversary of something that happened 20 years ago that is almost unimaginable. If we hadn't lived through it, we would say, how could that be? 
How could people from other parts of the world desire that they hate us so much that they're going to come over to this nation, train to be pilots, and then coordinate an effort where they're going to get on commercial airlines to enjoy the, the amazing creativity that this nation affords and this freedom, and then they're going to crash those planes into buildings to kill thousands of people in New York, crash that planes into the Pentagon and kill uh, un, uh, numbers and numbers of people, also try to crash a plane into uh, either the Capitol building or the White House, we're not sure, and then what was just freedom of information, if you read yesterday, that it was very clear that those were just the beginning waves of this. How can people conceive such a thing and think that they're doing it for God? How, how can that be? It's just evil. What do you do with that kind of people? You just say, oh, God is a God of love. We'll just let them all do it. Before you know it, we're all fried. Somebody has to stand up for righteousness. Like when, uh, when Saul's, one of Saul's first actions as king. Remember the, the negotiation, uh, you know, with that, uh, with that foreign king, uh, Agag, and he was saying, you know, I'll make peace with you if you just pluck out all of your right eyes, you know. And Saul hears that, and he says, uh-uh, righteous indignation comes. And he gathers up people to go and attack that group and deliver the people. You know, is, is that a demonstration that God's not a God of love? Or is that a demonstration of saying, look, we could come and preach to this, this guy, but he's still going to have this miscreant thinking that he's going to be plucking eyes out of people and making them subservient. So if he's going to continue to be that way, we've got to stop it. You know, what would America have done when we saw uh, Fortress Europe in World War II and we saw the Nazis doing what they were doing. Yeah, we waited until the, the Japanese attacked us on December 7th, 41. But yet, if you study it all, you see that we were preparing for war. We knew we were going to have to go in battle. Even the many discussions that were held between Churchill and our leadership, and even de Gaulle and Churchill and our leadership, we knew we were going to have to go to war. And we, we were warned, you know, there's something strange going on. There's a fleet that's sailing out of uh, Hikaru, and, you know, you, we're, something imminent is coming. We were waiting. Yeah, we really weren't that prepared. But what if we'd have just said, okay, well, you know, God's a God of love. We're not going to, we're not going to, they're declaring war on us, but we're just going to stay here. And, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are being murdered over in Europe, but we're not going to do anything to eliminate that. God's a God of love, so we're not going to do anything. Uh, guess what I'm saying is, when you see what God's saying, he's going to judge among the heathen. He'll fill the places with dead bodies. He'll wound the heads over many countries, and he will reward those who are successfully partnering with him. That's not an indication that God doesn't love. That's an indication that there's wickedness, and somebody's going to have to take a stand to deal with it. Does that make sense? It'd be nice if we were just all singing kumbaya, living in some kind of nirvana. But the world doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. And that's one of the challenges that we've faced over these past couple of months 
as we pulled out of Afghanistan, and you hear the British saying it very clearly in Parliament, you know, it seems that all we've done now is provided a safe haven for them to gear up for the second half. We're going to go back in there, and we're going to be fighting different groups now with, uh, with the armaments that we gave them. I don't want that to happen. But, you know, you can't, you can't just... You can't look through rose-colored glasses and, and not understand that the times we're living in are wicked days. And there are going to be ways that God is going to show himself strong. And those who are not following him, who have committed themselves to evil, who are partnering clearly with the demonic, are going to pay a price. Is it because God doesn't love them? No. They, they have the opportunity to turn. You know, Saul had the opportunity to turn. He was killing Christians. He was killing the church. He was imprisoning and torturing people. He had the chance to change, and he did change, thanks be to God. But there were many others who didn't change. So we're in the midst of some, some really peculiar days we're preparing, and this is a prophetic word for us as we come at the, on the basis of the right hand, God's plan, Yahweh, he is, his, his plan is in, in, in absolute order. And God has committed to welcome his people to partner with him as intercessors, as priests, as kings, as saints, to stand. I don't know what these days in the next years are going to look like. I am expecting there to be great visitations of the power of the Spirit in ways that we have not, that we have never seen before, but many have seen it in vision. We've read those visions. Many of you have had those types of dreams and visions. So I don't know what, what is going to transpire really, how it's going to be, but we're reading about it right here. But the essence of it all to me is this greatest demonstration of the heart of God and what it means to repent. What, why we repent. What are we committing to as we repent? What's the purpose of God? It's what it is. And so we see our God and we see these other passages where it speaks about this nacham, where there's always that anchor, that footstool, that foundation Thus says the Lord, this is what will be. And that's our essence. You know, I don't know how many times over the years God has preserved this house because we said no matter what happens, we are staying firmly committed to what God has asked us to be. That and that alone has saved us. You've seen it happen. We've seen miracles happen because of that commitment. That's the heart of repentance. Because repentance begins at ends at a commitment to the purpose of God. And when somebody truly in their own life aligns with that and they say, I repent, they're correcting their course of action to say, I am going to do what God has asked. Yeah, in the New Testament, metanoia, or in the Old Testament, shub, that says, I'm going to do a 180. I've been drifting off over here. Now I'm going to turn and go back. Go back to what? The purpose of God. The commitment to his partnership. That's the essence of becoming born again.
And it's like what Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Stop missing the mark and start being, start hitting the mark. See, sin is not just missing the mark. It's an obstacle to you hitting the mark. So we, we stop missing the mark. We have that cleansed. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. But what good is that if we don't start hitting the mark? If we don't start following what God has put us on this earth to be? And so that's the essence of repentance. So throughout this week, as we prepare for this gathering of the Feast of Adonai, and as, as we spend every day where we are reflecting upon what God is going to be doing, every day we're going to be coming into a measure of repentance. Oh, not, oh, God, forgive me, I'm such a miserable person. You know, again, that, I appreciate the sentiment of that, but that really doesn't accomplish anything. What it does is that as soon as you're out of breath, you rest up, and then you go into the third verse of that. And, and at some point, you've got to say, okay, I'm committed now. I'm going to do this because this is what God has put me on this earth to do, and I'm going to stay committed to it. That's the essence of partnering with God, and that's the essence of repentance. And from that point of, of comfort, that point of counsel, it's not based on what Job says. It's not based on falsehoods. It's based on the one true thing, which is why Jesus came to die, to establish this place for you and me. It's what Satan said, I don't want that. But God says it's going to be anyway. That's the essence of repentance. So we look at the sins of our nation. We look at the sins of, of the saints. We look at the sins of our own existence. And it's always good, see, God doesn't take any pleasure to us just coming and groveling before him. I mean, he could create creatures just to do that, you know? I, I love seeing uh, little little puppies, you know, when I come to Fabian and Kelly's house, and Maya, this is, when she stopped giving me the stink eye, you know, when she gets real happy and she spins around and she jumps up. Scarlet does that when, when I see her. She spins around. And God could create beings that would do that. So God's not really interested in, in, in that grovel. God's interested in partnership with you. And so if we come and we say, God, yeah, I, I've been missing the mark, he, he's faithful and just to forgive us of that missing of the mark and to cleanse us from the areas where we were not walking according to vision, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the essence is walking in righteousness, walking in partnership with God where he is directing us. That's the essence of repentance. And that's all of these passages where God is repenting not, but then God's repenting. It, it, it doesn't mean to change the mind. Every time we read this, we say, okay, what is the anchor of this? What is the foundation of this? This is what I want. And that's, I'm almost done now. I even put a clock over here so I could see how long I'm keeping you. Um, I have to turn around and see it. I notice I haven't looked to this point. <laughs> Rose has been watching it, though, but no, 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 I haven't been looking. You know, I will say this, that God's thanks to his name. He's been very gracious to us over the years. He's not changed 
his calling for us, has he? No matter what we've been through, no matter what we've overcome, no matter how we've been attacked, thanks be to God, his calling for the saints, his intercessors, has stayed the same. It's changed in its glories and the way God has led us and the, the various things we've been able to build, but the essence of it has not varied. We've not come and said, you know, all that stuff we said, we should just forget about that. We're going to deconstruct that. We're going to go forward some other way. That's, that's anti-repentance. You, you cut your line to the anchor of, of hope, and you're, you're adrift and you're done. I think we need, to, we need to go before the Father and repent on behalf of that. But we didn't do it, but we repent anyway and say, Father, we're so sorry that this has happened. If any way we contributed to those who've done that, if, if that has created a stain on this ship of the saints, forgive us, cleanse that and align us more clearly. Do you see how this works? That's how you pray for the sins of your people. It's just not pointing out, yeah, they did this, and yeah, they did, and look at them all. They're going to hell. That, that gets you nowhere. In fact, Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. But when we confess the sins of the people, we're taking a sense of responsibility because somehow as the body corpus of saints, some have drifted, some have done these. We're not accusing, we're not judging anybody. We're going before the Father on behalf of his mission, his purpose, and we're saying forgive. Do you see that? It's a beautiful point of commune with God and of partnership and supplication. But that's, that's the onus of repentance. And that's the heart of repentance. And the final thing is that when Jesus gave his life, shed his blood, and we came and accepted him, and his blood cleansed us from all sins, and we were born again anew into the kingdom, and our spirit came to life, how does that align with what we've just been saying? Because it puts us in right standing to be able to do this. And it puts us in right standing to be able to then grow in grace. It puts us in right standing to actually be at the right hand with our Father and with our Lord Jesus. You see? I'm so grateful for the plan of God, and I pray that we will learn more of how to align ourselves with him. But this is the essence of repentance. It's not a list of people coming up and signing a conversion card. I remember being parts of Billy Graham crusades, and I bless what he did. What a testament to hear the message of the gospel preached. We've, we've all watched that. I've seen I have buttons from singing in the Billy Graham Crusade Choir. Some of you may have some of those, but at the end, I remember being at our church just as a boy and seeing all these conversion cards that the association distributed to churches to follow up with these people. That's great. But to what end? Can we lead them into their true purpose now in being born again? Or are they just waiting for the rapture? 
I want to move forward as a priest according to the order of Melchizedek with our Lord, the great high priest. And repentance is always about the purpose of God. Sin is always about missing the purpose of God. And I, I, I want us, and I know you want this, to continue to move with our Father toward his directives to seeing his will being done and his kingdom come. So the Lord has sworn. He's committed himself to this perfect fulfillment. And he, he, uh, he will not repent. This thing is set eternally. And it's always about what he has ordained, which is that perfect plan. So I speak a blessing over all of the saints as we prepare these next couple of days. If you fast, if you, if you spend time on your face asking God to, to cleanse and look to you, remember that it's about his purpose. True fasting is a fast of meekness where we yield ourselves, our strengths, to his purpose. And that's what we want to welcome our saints' family, either here or virtually, to do. That all of our people around the world would find that place where God is uh, establishing them at the footstool. And um, as God's building his army, I'm asking for, in verse 3, in the day of his armies, that there would be a, a groundswell of willingness for people to get in line with that and be what God has called them to be. I, I believe that that is a prophetic. These two verses, 2 and 3, are prophetic about what's going to be coming upon the earth. The rod of strength, this willingness to, to be partnering with God and in the midst of where the enemy is doing things, great demonstrations of the power of the Spirit. Hopefully, if one thing the church has seen is it doesn't really matter how you vote, <laughs> there's plenty of evil to go around. We really need a visitation of the Spirit of the Lord. But with this understanding that while God's doing that, our blessing is to see God doing what he's ordained to do and not be discouraged because it didn't cause people to turn from wickedness. Because there's still going to be people wicked. There still are. Jesus said, they hated me, they'll hate you. Now, what are some of those examples? Oh, here's a woman who's all bowed over. She must have been a sight to see. It must have been a horrific thing. The Lord heals her. She's straightened up on the Sabbath, the daughter of Abraham. And across the synagogue, people are plotting to kill him. Jesus delivers his first sermon, delivered him the scroll of Isaiah. This day is this scripture fulfilled. And uh, the, the, the greeting at the door is, let's toss him over the cliff. You think that the visitation of the power of the Lord is going to make some people that are just bent on serving Satan change? Some of them will, but don't be discouraged if they don't. Amen? I think the Lord is saying it's time to stop. Too much anointment up here on this mic, Zach. That's what it is. Heavenly Father, lead us through these next days. And thank you for the privilege that is affording us to once again be together 
And, and I pray, Father, that you will guide us, whether we're here in person or whether we're here in spirit virtually through the miracle of what you've allowed us to, to have available in the live stream. Touch your people. You've brought us to this point. Let us walk now in this measure of power and love and purpose in you. We thank you for this privilege, Father. We receive the anointing for this hour. Help us to please you. And Lord, we ask a special blessing upon those who are going to be traveling these next days. Protect them all. Thank you for bringing uh, Haley and Zach here safely. and um, Bring everybody here safely. Let us walk in health this week. And will let us be uh, uh, exactly what you want us to be. And we love you. We thank you for this. But we initiate this, this week of in-gathering now. And we, we speak blessing over it. And we thank you for it, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you all. Thank you. Um, thank you, brother. We will see you soon.